Hello and welcome for the podcast of the Lotus Eaters for the 15th of June 2023. I am joined by Charlie Downs. Hello, Josh. Who I'm very uh, pleased to talk to because um, last time you were in, we actually had quite a a good conversation off camera, didn't we? And we've had another good one off camera as well, hopefully not spoiling what we're going to talk about. But I think we've got some good things to cover. So I think um, we're going to be covering uh, the UN's recent report that 90% of men are sexist. And you're going to be covering... um, well, the Ameri- believe, yeah, the America question. Um, mm-hmm. So whether we as, as conservatives, as people concerned with tradition and culture and civilization, should view America as a political project, as our friend, our ally. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the third one, I have completely forgotten what I'm actually going to cover. Oh, it's um, dystopian technology. Oh. And uh, I've basically stolen Carl's funder because he's been doing the, the cyberpunk dystopia uh, series on the website. So mm. I've I've stolen loads of links from him, basically, so he's not going to do one for a while. But um, it's also worth mentioning as well that tomorrow at, um, I think, is it 4.30? Is that right? 3.30. It must have been typed in there wrong, but at 3.30, the usual live stream time. That's uh, British summertime as well. Um, I think it's Harry and Connor are talking about, is James Lindsay right about uh, Christianity? And the basic premise of it is that they're analysing Lindsay's criticisms of Christianity, particularly Christian nationalists, um, and looking at if liberalism is the viable solution to fighting wokeness, which... uh, It's not. Yeah, (laughs) I I think they'll probably say much the same, to be honest. But with all that out of the way, let's go on to uh, the UN being ridiculous misandrists, shall we? So, I recently saw an article from Reuters titled, Gender Bias is Not Improved Over Past Decade, UN Says. And um, the fact that Reuters is reporting on this is very important because lots of other media outlets basically take their news from Reuters. Mm. And so that's why you'll notice if you read the Reuters coverage, lots of phrases crop up in the Reuters coverage that also crop up in the subsequent articles Mm. from other outlets. Because, of course, journalists are not known, uh, mainstream journalists are not known for their integrity, their creativity. But it's important because this sets the agenda for the news in a certain sense. So they're always a good outlet to pay attention to. And um, I'm going to read a little bit from it, but not very much. And then I'm going to look at the actual report itself, break it down, uh, say why it's insane, use poor research methods, because, of course, I specialised in research methodology. I've got a master's in it. And so this is a pretty low-hanging fruit for me, to be honest. It's your wheelhouse. It is indeed. So the article says... Uh, The survey draws from data sets spanning 2010 to 2014 and 2017 to 2022. And so it is meant to be roughly a 10-year span um, from countries and territories covering 85% of the global population. And it says, despite a surge in women's rights groups and social movements like Time's Up and Me Too in the United States, biased social norms and broader human development um, crisis heightened by COVID-19, when many women lost their income, have stalled progress on inequality. And this is a, a misrepresentation because they deliberately cite the United States. And I've looked at the data that they collected both in 2020, um, which is a, a different one, but the same methodology, and the one that was published recently. And they actually found that um, biases reduced by about 4% in 2020. And I'm, I'm going to break down why these biases are nonsense. Mm. But Just for the time being, I'm going to talk about it in their own terms before saying it's silly. But um, yes, it it showed that actually it decreased, so it's not exactly stagnant. If anything, you could say perhaps there's even an inverse relationship that women losing their jobs reduced (laughs) gender biases. I mean, 
based on that data, they're making the conclusions about it. I would say there's yeah. not, not enough quality data there to make any conclusions about these things, but uh, they're the ones doing it. And if you're doing so, you could even argue that, uh, yeah, well, taking women out of the workplace seemed to have, uh, seemed to have uh, reduced inequality, according, well, according to their... Uh, I don't actually believe that to be true. Yeah, well, we, I mean, you see in Scandinavia, like places like Sweden and that, um, where men and women become more more equal, if you want, more, mm -hmm. but, more but what it actually means is more similar you know, in yes. terms of their function in society. You find that sexism actually, or yeah, sexism actually increases, and actually when they're more differentiated, mm -hmm. um, it decreases, and and actually more importantly, happiness goes up. Yeah, yeah, I, I heard that from uh, the uh, very good Dr. Peterson. As did I. Yeah. <laughs> funny that. Um, but yes, Al Jazeera as well also reported on it, which I thought was quite funny because it's of course uh, an Islamic State media outlet. Yeah. And so I find the notion of them covering this as if it's some sort of problem kind of amusing. Yeah. But um, that, that, that aside, me, um, the elephant in the room, which you probably haven't noticed, is that, well, they keep using this word woman, but what is it? Well, John Tangney uh, has the answer, hopefully, um, in his article. He's a very good writer. I, I really like what he has to say. Mm. He's always got something interesting to say and original. And uh, here is his article, Pride Month and What is a Woman? And I hope that he finally manages to answer that very difficult question that I just can't get my head around. You know, mm, it's, it's so e hard yeah, to define. Yeah, epoch-defining question. Mm -hmm. But um, yes, definitely check that out. It's on the website. Um, you have to become a member to read it, but you also get an audio track from our very own Jonathan Crow, who uh, is a silver-tongued devil, oh, yes. if ever I heard one. Yes, he's very talented. But um, yes, make sure to check that out. And... Uh, you can then proceed with the segment because, of course, you'll know what a woman is. Mm. Um, but here's the report itself, or at least the uh, UN page talking about it. A decade of stagnation, UU UNDP data shows gender biases remain entrenched. And I'm going to read this and break it down because it's a bit nuts. And I think uh, it, it kind of needs a data analyst eye mm. as well as uh, someone who's been covering this for a long time to pick out the actual in intricacies of where it goes wrong. Yeah. So it says... The latest Gender Social Norm Index, GSNI, report has revealed no improvement in biases against women in a decade, uh, with almost 9 out of 10 men and women worldwide still holding biases today. That's not how it's reported in the mainstream media, though. Mm. It's funny that, isn't it? it is, they're all framing it about men, they're, but they're, they at least acknowledge here that it's men and women, right? Yes. So it's almost like you have so societal attitudes that both men and women share. And yeah. in fact, as we'll get onto later, women tend to be the ones who enforce it more. Yeah. Furthermore, um, it's almost as if, you know, it's almost as if there's something beyond like mere social conditioning at play here. Mm. It's almost as if there's maybe something intrinsic about these things. God forbid it'd be mm. influenced by biology. I mean, that, that would be terrible, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, so it says half of people worldwide still believe men make better political leaders than women, and more than 40% believe men make better business executives than women. A staggering 25% of people believe it is justifiable or, or justified sorry, for a man to beat his wife, according to the new GSNI report launched today by the United Nations Development Programme, reflecting the latest data from the World Value Survey. So first, first and foremost, I'd say... I approve of the first two things that they, they said are somewhat prevalent in that, you know, there are perfectly good reasons why people might believe men make better political leaders. I think one reason that comes to mind is that um, to be a political leader, you've got to get have solidarity. You've mm -hmm. got to put down dissenters, basically. You yeah. want to be unified because then you'll be more effective. Mm -hmm. And to do that, you have to be quite disagreeable. disagreeable yep. And that means that men, because they, they tend to be more disagreeable by mm -hmm. disposition as um 
many, many big five personality trait inventories yeah. have shown, you know, it's a very, very robust effect that this is something that men are good at. Mm. And so if someone is aware of that, I mean, it's not, it's not too beyond the realm of reason that people yeah. can figure that out for themselves. You don't need academic research. It's kind of yeah. common sense to understand this. Now, again, from Peterson, I am sort of some, I'm aware of the big five mm -hmm. um, model and I recognize it's, it's kind of considered the most uh, uh, reliable personality model out there. Is that right? It's the most widely used, yeah, sure. but okay. um, I, I think that there are other ones as well. Yeah. And I think that taking a bit more of a holistic look at it is yeah. normally better because by trying to reduce things into categories, mm. it is in inherently reductionistic. Yeah. And so you lose some of the, the nuance there. Yeah. And I'm all about the detail. Yeah, yeah. And but I mean, nevertheless, you know, as you say, it's, it's, it's not sexist to observe that statistically speaking, on average, women are more agreeable than men. And actually, that's mm -hmm. not a bad thing either. Because well, no, that's, where does the maternal impulse come from otherwise? Yeah. And it's, it's, there are so many good things that we're going to talk about. Like agreeable people tend to be perceived as warm and friendly. Yeah. They, they work better in teams. They have a, a better understanding of emotions of others, mm. better at resolving conflict civilly, yeah. tend to be more altruistic and less aggressive. Yeah. These are all really good traits. Excellent, excellent social traits, but not social traits that select for business leaders and, and political leaders. Yeah. You, 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 ideally want someone who perhaps isn't like that because if, mm. if they're quite warm and friendly and altruistic in, and you're running a really stressful business, yeah. I mean, it depends on the business. Sometimes yeah. a warm and friendly mm. person would be suited to it. So yeah. that's again, somewhere where the, the detail is key. Sure. What yeah. industries, what kind of thing, if yeah. it's like finance, something mm. kind of quite male brained as yes. an industry where, you know, um, systematic thinking, mm. which men excel at, um, would lend itself well to, yeah. then it might make sense that there are more men there. Yeah. So there's there's a bit of nuance there that is missing in the questions here that they're mm. asking. Obviously, um, I don't approve of men beating their wives. No. I think that it's actually a sign of being a weak man. Oh yeah. And that if you can't resolve things civilly, mm. it's a sign that you've failed. Yeah. Well, I mean, losing your temper in that way is, is the most unmasculine thing imaginable. Well, yes. Yeah. Now, we're going to talk about basically... Uh, men's complementary role towards mm. women. And the main pillar of masculinity, the one that's most exclusively male, yeah. is the protect. Yes. And you're very much failing in protecting oh, yeah. um, women and children if you're hitting them. Yeah. It's pretty <laughs> obvious, really. Yeah. And that's why it's always been abhorrent. And mm. I'll, I'll never forget um, something my, my grandmother said to me um, when we were just talking about kind of attitudes back in the day. Mm. And she said, oh, if... Um, your granddad hit me, I would hit him back. Yeah. <laughs> and she grew up like in World War II, the yeah. time when uh, supposedly gender roles were mm. so stratified and evil and terrible. Um, and Oppressive, they were oppressing women. Yeah. And it, it's funny that, you know, you actually speak to someone of the time mm. and they have a very different thing to say. Yeah. Like actually men of the time frowned at other men hitting their wives. They yeah. saw it as weak, as we do. Yeah. Right. And it is weak. And it so, is, yeah. And so, yes, um, I... There is a part of this report that I kind of agree with is bad, but some of it, I think, misses some of the detail that you need to understand the world. It's, mm. it's simplified to a fault, I would say. So it carries on to say, the report argues that these biases drive hurdles faced by women manifested in a dismantling of women's rights in many parts of the world with movements against gender equality gaining traction. But wait a minute, didn't you say it's stagnated, that gender bias has stayed the same? So how... Yeah, you kind of want your cake and eat it too. Yeah. Um, in that you're, you're saying that things are getting worse in terms of, you know, women's situation in the world. And yet you're saying that all of these biases 
are remaining stagnant. Mm. So doesn't that suggest that these attitudes perhaps are separate from the measures that you're saying um, women's rights are, are changing, mm. if, if that is true at all, which I am not sure it is, to be honest. No, indeed. And uh, it carries on to say, biases are also reflected in the severe underrepresentation of women in leadership. Oh, this is ridiculous, isn't it? Um, on average, I mean, imagine if they did a poll just asking women whether they desired leadership roles. Yeah against men. Yeah. And we would probably see a very big difference. Yeah. I'm sure that literature probably already exists. Oh, no but doubt, yeah. Believe it or not, I've not read all of the scientific literature in existence mm. yet. One day. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it carries on to say, on average, the, the share of women as heads of state or heads of government has remained around 10% since 1995. And in the labour market, women occupy less than a third of managerial positions. The report also sheds light on a broken link between women's progress in education, economic empowerment, Sorry, I really hate this framing because it is mm -hmm. just, you know, we, these people who, who wrote this would probably describe themselves as left wing or liberal. Undoubtedly, some, if you work for the UN, it's yeah, kind of a prerequisite. In some capacity. It? But it's just so funny how their, metri their metric for success and their, their understanding of the good life mm -hmm. is being, you know, a corporate drone. John, would you mind just scrolling up just a little? Because there was a phrase there. Um, yeah. Economic empowerment, as if you know, as if mere, you know, mere the, the mere number in your bank account is what mm -hmm. constitutes success as a woman. Like, <laughs> I, I think that's actually a sexist attitude, right? Well, I, I think it's also wrong for men as well. Well, yeah, well, it's wrong for both sexes. Yeah. But I think you know, at the very least, the man, the, the male brain can mm -hmm. be predisposed to just mm -hmm. generate as much money as possible at all costs, mm -hmm. like work an eighty-hour week, you know, and and pull all nighters and so on. But actually, it's not healthy. It's, well, it's not healthy, and actually. You know, there there are men who find that fulfilling. I wouldn't find that fulfilling. But actually, I, I don't think that, as I say, I don't think most people would find that fulfilling. And, you know, I don't think women in particular would, because that's just not, mm. again, we were talking about the kind of predisposition towards warmth and, um, you know, nurture and so on. Um, that's not going to, you know, I don't think somebody like that is going to be fulfilled by just you know, a kind of... Being a ruthless careerist yeah, and, and striving drive. to be a, a, basically the top yeah. of the hierarchy. Yeah. That that seems counter to those principles. Mm. And I, I don't think they're making a mistake in not pursuing it, to be honest. No, of course I not. mean, as, as Peterson says, uh, yeah. to, I'm quoting from him quite heavily today, it mm. seems. Um, yeah, it's a very, very select few number of men yeah. that make those positions. So it's more interesting to ask, what is it about those men that, do, that yeah. make them inclined to do that in the first place? Yeah. Because... That's not for me. No. I, I would hate to be a prime minister, for example. Oh. That, under, under no circumstances mm. would I want to do that. Yeah. But um, again, just, just this pure, this managerial view of success, where mm -hmm. it is purely, you know, what can be expressed mm -hmm. in a statistic. Have you picked up on the lie of omission here? Go on. So notice how they talk about um, the economy and labour markets mm. in terms of leadership positions. They don't talk about rates of employment. Mm. They don't talk about salaries. No. Yeah. Um, in in university and education, they don't talk about the fact that Western countries mm. now have more women than men in attendance at university. Yes, that's true. To yeah. quite a degree. I mean, yeah. um, I did study psychology, so mm. my my experiences are probably a bit biased because mm. it was eighty five percent women. Wow. Yeah. I, there, there was no ulterior motive. I promise. I was just <laughs> just interested in psychology. Yeah. Um, no, it was the same thing. My my university was female dominated, and there were occasions where I was. I mean, I studied politics, mm -hmm. but there were occasions where I was in seminars where I was the only man in the room. I remember um, this is kind of one of my sort of wake up calls mm. to the evils of feminism. I mm. went, I, I was, I chose to do a criminology module yeah. and I was the only man in the room of 30 women, even the lecturer was a woman. Yeah. And there was a woman talking about how um, misogyny mm. is behind lots of crime. 
and I, I kind of pointed out the fact that um, I'm the only man in the room in a higher education institution. Yeah. Do you really believe that misogyny is still going on? Yeah. Like, look at the makeup of this room. No one's mm. deliberately selected the people. No. It just so happens that it's all full of women. Of course, yeah. they're naturally inclined to be interested in criminology mm. anyway because of the uh, the apparent fascination with serial killers that so um, I hear, is yes. universal, yeah. it seems. Mm. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I, I'm going off on a tangent on anecdotes. Yeah. But anyway, um, it, it ends by saying, or at least the part I'm going to stop reading, says women are more skilled and educated than ever before. So surely that's good, right? By your own terms. And yet... Even in 59 countries where women are now more educated than men, the, so there's an acknowledgement that, you yeah. know, just saying, um, the gender income gap, oh, for goodness sake, yep. um, remains a staggering 39% in the favour of men. I, I can't believe they, they brought that up. Even I know, the it's EU. This discredited idea. Even the EU discredited this. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that is a left wing sort of almost yeah. socialistic utopian project. And even they're saying this is nuts. Don't yeah. talk about that. So, yes, well done, UN, for outdoing the EU in most annoying yeah. supranational organisation. Yeah, congrats. So, I did mention earlier that there was a similar study in 2020, um, which is this one, which found the same thing, mm. uh, which is interesting to me. Make of that what you will. I oh, did yeah, go in and look at... I did go in and look at the data and I did see that there were differences. They're not mm. just reporting the same thing. So it seems like they went out and did record new data for the countries yeah. they did sample and took a bigger sample this yeah. time. So it's not that unusual. It's, mm. I think it's just a bit unusual that they found the same percentage. Yeah. And so um, we're going to look a little bit about what their actual methodology was because mm. figuring out how they can get to these conclusions is a really good way of dismantling yeah. their conclusions in the first place, which I think are illogical, irrational, and yeah. not based in facts and logic. <laughs> <laughs> but let's, let's have a look, shall we, at this next one, um, which is some of the dimensions. So we're going to um, have a look at some of the outputs later, mm. um, which they uploaded in an Excel spreadsheet. And I've screenshotted the countries that I thought were interesting. Yeah. But these are the sort of um, statements that um, they asked participants on a, a Likert scale, mm -hmm. which is... Uh, like one to seven yeah, sure. or some variation thereof. Yeah, like strongly agree, strongly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so they, they have the political ones. Men make better political leaders than women do. Women have the same rights as men. I think those are quite uncontroversial statements to try and get attitudes yeah. towards women. Fair enough. And that feeds into the uh, political empowerment index. I hate mm. the term empowerment personally, but there we go. Educational. University is more important for a man than a woman. I mean, there are lots of reasons that someone could believe that without being biased or sexist mm. for example you could make the argument that men don't mature as quickly and sure. therefore um going to a university at 18 forces them to mature yep and that was my experience mm -hmm. yeah and mine <laughs> yeah. to be honest um and so that that would be a fair argument where you're not being discriminatory towards women actually no. you're saying that they've matured more quickly yeah. which is a positive well, thing but this, then yeah this is what this comes down to is are men and women the same yes or no and now i think no, obviously mm -hmm. not, because I have been around men and women my entire life, and you and you recognise that you know obviously mm -hmm. they are not the same the same thing, right? Mm. And so it's it's illogical and irrational to treat them the same, right? It is. This is, yeah. this is why, and and that's not to say that I think that you know that I, well, there would be those that would say that's a sexist remark, but actually I would say to that, well, okay, if a woman came up to me and, and smacked me in the face, I actually wouldn't want to to give her one back because mm -hmm. that's not that's just wrong uh, for, for me as a man. Whereas if a man did that, then I'd, you know, I wouldn't hesitate. You understand? Mm -hmm. And 
but equality, you know, this, this drive towards equality would have me, you mm-hmm. know, smack the woman back in the face. <laughs> And, we, and, and that's just so wrong, right? Mm. And so, you know, university is more important for a man than for a woman. Okay, well, if man and woman are two different things, then it, that may actually be the case. Well, I think it, part of treating people well mm. is acknowledging their sort of intricacies, their idiosyncrasies, yeah. what makes them who they are, yeah. and then treating them accordingly. Yes. Like, there are certain things that people have views on mm. whereby, you know, you could do something wrong and it would annoy them and someone else wouldn't mind yeah. and things like that. And so you've got to treat things by a sort of case-by-case basis. Yeah. And um, I also think, uh, on a sort of tangential point, mm. that this sort of value of equality comes mm. from a misunderstanding of English liberalism. Mm. It quite often gets um, accused of being French liberalism, but mm-hmm. uh, not not to be accused of being a quizzling of the French, but oh. I don't think that's actually the, the case. Okay, go on. Um, because the English liberal looks at equality before the law, mm. right? And so these sorts of things are kind of couched in that language. Yeah. But equality before the law just means that the government doesn't discriminate against you. Yeah. It's, it, it was originally couched as like a negative liberty thing that yeah. we we do not have the right to discriminate against individuals yeah. based on these criteria, which makes sense. But mm. also in, explicit in the law are laws that protect women in different mm. ways to men. Yeah. So, which I actually think is right. Well, of course, yeah. Again, you know, speaking as a, as a conservative, mm-hmm. I, I do think that it's actually, it's actually kind of right. You know, I, I was on a talk TV show the other day and I said, actually, you know, I, do, I don't like this, sort of the, the overbearing kind of... Um, sort of more feminine manifestation of protecting women, where it is this kind of, um, again, this, this sort of smothering mother type type view of it. It's but a actually, very Jungian archetype, isn't it? Yes, yeah, very mm. much. But actually the, the, the more the masculine, sort of chivalric, traditional um, sort of way of uh, protecting women, if you want, that's something I'm absolutely mm-hmm. in favour of, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, it's, it's clearly a good thing, right? Yeah. And but again, but that's, that's sexist, that view. Like, but it would be branded. The funny such. thing is, by yeah. having the best feedback I've had yeah. in having those attitudes is from women. Yeah, like, yeah. I've had oh, yeah. women. I've, I've had um, girlfriends in the past say, "Being with you makes me feel safe, yeah. and it that makes me feel comfortable and happier." Mm-hmm. And they explicitly said it, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, if you're not taking women at their word, yeah. you must be a sexist. That's but you that's know, what re- it is. you know, revealed preference is one of the most powerful. Uh, things in well, the, the funny thing is that and, yeah. um, Gavin McInnes pointed this mm. out um, many years ago that lots of the hardcore sort of feminists, mm. the really um, belligerent ones, mm. have very kind of masculine boyfriends. Yeah, is is that a coincidence? We have to wonder. Mm. But um, carrying on to uh, the economic. Oh, sorry, John, if you could go back. Um, it's that the economic ones are men should have more rights to a job than a woman. And men make better business executives than women do. Obviously, we've addressed the business executives yeah. one. <clears throat> but in developing countries where they still have the uh, so-called traditional gender roles, mm. um, that division of labour makes sense mm. in that you, you, don't ha- you can't pay someone to look after your children like in a Western country. No. You ha- actually Based. have to have someone physically there to look after them yeah. and bring them up. And it makes sense for that to be the mother. It doesn't necessarily have to be. Well, but it's actually, it's actually preferable. That's it the is, case, though, though. Yeah. Like, you know, as you will no doubt know more than me, psychologically speaking, that mm-hmm. is better for the child. Well, infants form their bonds with a mother more easily because they came from their body. Yeah. What a surprise, right? I know, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's very intuitive, really, isn't mm. it? And but I mean, again, there's also this sort of uh, conditioning aspect of they're also the one that provides them food and mm. they're, they're breastfeeding them, yeah. ideally. Um, yeah. And so... 
you know, all of these criteria, if you want to like even tame an animal, mm. what you do is you make them feel comfortable yeah. and you feed them. Yeah. I mean, we, we understand it when it's non-human, mm. but I think it's an act of hubris to pretend that we're so different, yeah. really. But again, to bring it back to this, you know, the problem with this managerial view of the world is it does have all human beings as basically being like fungible goods, fungible mm -hmm. economic units. You can just replace the mother. It doesn't, you know, the, the fact that she's the mother doesn't matter. She can just be replaced by an employee, someone you pay to do the same job and the outcome will be the same. But we, mm -hmm. we obviously recognise that's not, that's nonsense, right? Well, yeah, it, it separates the, the sentiments you have towards the people around you mm. and... As someone who kind of had an experience of, of both, yeah. I mean, my, both my parents were working very professional yeah. jobs quite late, but my grandparents also stepped in there. Mm, yeah. So I had familiar, familiar figures. Yeah. Let's try saying that pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah. um, but I also sometimes, when they weren't available, had yeah. to, to go into like a, a care sure. thing. Yeah. And Explains a lot, Josh. Uh, I didn't go there very much. Um, <laughs> no, yeah. But um, yeah, it was so much more preferable to be with my grandparents yeah, because course, you can yeah. also just pick up where you left off. Yeah. And, you know, they actually have a vested interest in developing you. Well, some was, of my, my best earliest memories are being looked after by yeah. my grandparents. Yeah, so. but I was, I was going to say there is a when, you know, when you're with family, there is a qualitative investment in mm. you. Whereas when you're with, again, some employee, you know, some some paid worker, mm -hmm. it's, it's it's a quantitative investment in that, you know, they're going to work a set number of hours and be paid that, you know, paid mm -hmm. however much. And I'm um, sure there are that's people where their that, interest ends. I'm sure there are people that do genuinely care. Oh, like, yeah, of course. But again, but it's never going to be to the same level. No, of course yeah. not. There's, I think, having blood ties to mm. to, to a child, yeah. you know, your your biology kind of yeah. kicks in and you, you do have this even more protective instinct sure. over them. Yeah. But, um, Finally, this is the one that I think is the most egregious. So they've got physical integrity, proxy for intimate, intimate partner violence. Okay, that kind of makes sense. Physical mm. integrity, proxy for reproductive rights. Ah. Um, so mm. is this a bias against women? Um, I mean, there are a lot of um, conservative women in America. There are a lot of um, Islamic women mm -hmm. that might argue that this is actually not women's rights whatsoever no actually it's women's wrongs yes indeed. and uh, immoral and yeah so See, I mean, lumping those together and saying that this is some sort of bias against women yeah is really jumping the gun and yeah. missing the nuance of the discussion really but the very fact that that's included in here tells mm -hmm. you the type of people that have put this together exactly even using that i mean i would <laughs> I would never use the phrase reproductive rights. I mean, that, that comes it's from also, a very particular political... It's also a very dehumanising thing, saying reproductive. Oh, yeah. Like, it's, it's putting it in almost cold scientific mm. language. Yeah. And although, you know, I've used my fair share of it, yeah. it, it makes me feel a bit gross when applying it yeah. to, to something as, as beautiful as producing life. Yeah. It, it again, seems wrong. Reproductive, it's, it's not reproductive rights. It's, it's the opposite, if anything. Because, I mean, we're talking about abortion, here, mm -hmm. right? Of course, It's, yeah. it, it's, it's uh, anti-reproduction. Mm -hmm. So, well, you know. So, let's have a quick look at some of the data. I've taken some screenshots. Um, oh, this is some of the methodology. This is the <coughs> Likert scale stuff. I oh, forgot yeah. that I had that. But, um, yes, I've already explained that. So, if we can move on to the UK data. Here we are. Um, sorry if you have to squint to see it. Mm. But uh, here's the UK. Um, Share of people with at least one bias. Um, in women, it's 27%. Men, it's 32%. So there's about... Those are rookie numbers. There's only about a 5% difference between mm. men and women in the UK. Yeah. So is that really a problem at all? I would say, well, maybe that 5% is just like a, an experiential gap. Maybe, yeah. Um, in that 
women have experienced the world a bit more. Also, mm. they're probably more prone to be feminists and therefore... Well, I was going to say, we have to wonder how much of that is as a result of feminism. Yeah. Right. And um, the, I, I think there are still differences in countries that haven't been uh, penetrated by it. Like mm. we're looking at, um, it looked at places like Pakistan. Mm. And there's still a slight um, increase in the male one over yeah. the female, but there's a lot of um, similarity between mm. the two. Um, but if you could um, scroll towards the right, John, so we can see some of the individual... Um, so here we have the political ones, like 19.4 and 22.36. Mm. So they're basically the same, which yeah. is probably why they, they have couched it as men and women's attitudes towards women. Yeah. Like women can be sexist against themselves. So they've yeah. done that to try and reflect the data, but then mm. also the way that they've presented it suggests that it's men's fault somehow. Yeah. That we're, we're telling women what to think mm. when in reality, um, quite often, um, other women yeah. help reinforce each other's attitudes in the mm. same way that other men do the same thing for yeah. each other, right? Yeah, but this, I mean, this has the same kind of flavour as, you know, when you see Americans typically talking about how, like, there are... Um, people of colour, to use the, the vernacular, um, who, are, who are like racist towards themselves by being conservatives, mm -hmm. yeah. right? The it's black like, face of white supremacy exactly. being at Larry Elder, yeah. which was no, ridiculous. Exactly. That was that the LA sort of Times, wasn't it? Yeah, and I, this, I think this comes out of this kind of, actually a kind of Rousseauian impulse, the idea of you know, forcing someone to be free. Mm -hmm. it, you know, they're, they're, they're <laughs> You'll gonna, be free or else. Yeah, yeah, they're gonna tell you that, no, you're being sexist towards yourself and that needs to stop, or you're mm -hmm. being racist towards yourself and that needs to stop. Whereas actually, you know, maybe there's, Maybe these people haven't just been duped. Maybe there are reasons for them holding these, you know, these opinions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, exactly. That's that's one of the main points I'm trying to make here is yeah. that, yeah, it's more complicated than you're presenting it, mm. UN. So let's have a look at the United States, shall we? Um, so here they are. Um, they're, they're clearly more biased than the UK, apparently. Mm. Um, I mean, I'm not necessarily surprised based on the dimensions, of course. Yeah. Um, the reproductive rights thing is splitting the country. So... Yeah that's kind of an unfair criteria to judge America by because mm. men and women, you know, are probably on equal parts or roughly equal parts on either side there because mm. it's red versus blue. And uh, yeah, so it, it's unsurprising given that the, yeah. the general consensus in Britain um, on, on abortion seems to be permissive of it. There's no, there's no dialogue around it you know, no, in, in the mainstream at all. It, yeah. You almost seem like you're being a bit left afield and bringing it up a lot yeah. of the time. So... Um, if you can scroll to the right, John, a little bit, um, so we can have a look at some of the other dimensions. So the economic ones, there's quite a difference there, but also educational, they're pretty similar, right? Mm. Only three percentage difference. Political, yeah, there's about 5% there. Yeah. So it's, it's not too unheard of. Now let's go to somewhere a bit less Western, mm. Ethiopia. Um, <laughs> here they have 98.73% of women have biases against women. Yep kind of suggests that it's a bad metric if nearly all of the women have biases against women. Yeah. Um, they must just have internalised misogyny. Look at how close it is in a more traditional society, a developing society, yeah. um, in economically developing, of course. 98.73 um, for women, 98.81 mm. for men. That's, you know, point zero. Yeah, nothing. What? Yeah, it's, it's so small. Mm. And why do you think that is? Um, it is probably because, um, sorry, I, well, you were about it, to say something, weren't you? It, it's, it's, I think it must come down to the fact that somewhere like this, um, we could even think of it in terms of they're almost closer to the natural condition by well, being... That's you know, pretty yeah. much what I was going to say is yeah. that... In, in being an economically developing nation um, with, the, you know, sorry, go on, yeah. I, I was just going to say that in, in the West, we have 
somewhat of an economic abundance. Mm. So we can afford to have these luxury beliefs yes. that, you know, men and women are exactly the same. There yeah. are no differences, mm. which isn't really true, is That's it? That's nonsense. Um, and so these sorts of things kind of illustrate that actually, well, basically 100% of them at least have one bias, right? Yeah. They're, they're very comparable levels. Mm. And, and so it suggests that developing countries that mm. don't have the ability to... Mm. The capacity. Uh, yeah, they, yeah. Don't, they don't have the, the, the ability to avoid the gender roles, yeah. if, even if they wanted to, which they don't, mm. because you know, they understand the value in them, yeah. that women look after the family, men provide. Yes. Um, that's the only way their society can operate. Mm. And so it makes sense that their attitudes are like that. Yeah. And it's actually a form of cultural imperialism by the UN. I sound like... Um, sound like uh, Putin or something. Yeah. But um, to try and impose Western attitudes on places where they don't belong. Yeah. And it's it's silly. And so um, I'm going to quickly go over some other data so we can have a look at Sweden, the uh, supposed egalitarian utopia. 27.91% mm -hmm. of people have a bias. Um, and yeah, it's, it's less. Most of the countries with a reduced bias here yeah. by their own metrics are European, yeah. North American. Yeah. They're sort of in the Anglosphere. Mm. They're in places far removed from, again, mm -hmm. what we might call the state of nature. So yeah, let's have a look at the communist utopia of Venezuela. Mm. Um, and, uh, oh, look, um, people with at least one bias, 92.35%, mm -hmm. much, much higher than the horrible capitalist imperialist West. But you wonder where that comes from, because you tend to find in South American countries that they are, they, in terms of their social values, they are very, very conservative. Like mm. communist Cuba was probably more socially conservative than current day United States, right? Which, oh, which yeah, is kind yeah. of counterintuitive. Mm -hmm. But I, you know, I, I don't think that that, I mean, I think there's probably an amount of, you know, Venezuela is, is not a good place to live. So, oh, you know, yeah. again, they are pushed, you know, they're not, they don't have the capacity to have these luxury beliefs about mm -hmm. men and women. But also there is this, you know, the, the, the underlying social conservatism there that still remains to this day. Mm -hmm. And then finally, let's have a look at Japan and they're sort of along Western lines, but not mm. quite to the same extent. And I just thought that was interesting because they're an example of a country that's remained quite conservative, quite yeah. traditional, but also they've, um, you know, they're of a compar comparable economic scale, if not yeah. perhaps more developed uh, than some European countries. Yeah. And so it kind of suggests that there is a social dimension to it as yes. well in that, well, it's not entirely economic development. Mm. There's, there's some social aspect as well. Definitely. So there are things you can tease out even from this yeah. um, poorly gathered data, yes. conclusions that you can make. Obviously, you know, it, it's only an interpretation of the data, but mm. um, I think it's also worth mentioning as well that countries that are most likely to take action on this report tend to be the ones that have the, the least so-called biases. Yeah. And so it is going to eventually end up aggravating situations mm. in the West whilst not really being acknowledged in countries that they would probably yeah. term as needing it the most. Yeah. Well, those countries just love flagellating themselves. Our countries yes. rather love flagellating mm -hmm. themselves, don't we? So, And of course, it's also worth mentioning as well that a lot of social attitudes are shaped by women. Mm. Um, let's, let's point out the fact that um, ISIS, um, their enforcers, their cultural enforcers were women. Mm. Obviously, the men were fighting, so yeah. there's a certain practical dimension to it as well. Yeah. But I think it's a good sort of analogy. Yeah. Obviously, it's not quite as militant. Mm. I mean, uh, you had Shemima Begum pictured holding an AK-47. Yeah. I don't think our women do that so much. No, I don't um, so. But no, I think our, our mothers and our, mm. our, our grandmothers tend to shape our social attitudes more than men. I think 
um, and just talking from my own experiences mm. here, my, my father and my grandfathers mm. tended to focus on encouraging me to develop practical skills yeah. or physical ability, knowledge and kind of toughening me yeah. up a bit. It's not so much those other things, yeah. but in, in some together, mm. they make something really good, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. And, and beyond that as well, I don't, know if, I, mean, I don't know if you've ever encountered this, but where I live uh, right now, it's a, it's a sort of, it's a village and the neighborhood I live in is very sleepy, very quiet, mm -hmm. populated by probably 20% uni students and the rest is just pensioners basically. And there's this one particular lady who I, I, she's always out in her garden. So I speak to her most days and she is, you know, she's the Don, right? Of the neighborhood. You know, she mm -hmm. is the boss and everyone kind of, you know, everyone knows her, everyone knows who she is. And she's always the one, I mean, she, you know, she puts people's bins out, cuts people's you know, lawns and this sort of thing. You know, she is this, this kind of bulwark of order in, in, in my little neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And I think that, that that role, that kind of, you know, the older woman who, who maintains the local culture and traditions, mm -hmm. that's a tale, uh, certainly in England, that is a tale mm -hmm. as old as time. I was actually talking to Daisy, our social media mm. manager um, earlier. Mm. And she was, she had a phrase that I thought was quite nice mm. that um, women are like the managers of the household in mm. a way. Yeah. In that they're, they're managers of a different sort, but yes. they, keep, they keep order, they keep things running smoothly. Mm. And that's really important. Yeah. Like, uh, I, I don't know about you, but you know, you should be working to, to live a good life outside of what you do. Your, oh, your course, job yeah. doesn't define who you are. No, absolutely. And so you should yeah. be, in, at least I do, mm. living for your family in mm. a certain sense. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that that's actually a very rewarding thing. And yeah. by demeaning it, you're not helping anyone. You're helping mm. fracture families, basically, yeah. which is already a massive problem. Absolutely. And one final, somewhat facetious point I want to make is that um, for every dollar a man earns, his wife spends 77 cents. Is that so? Um, that's obviously not an actual fact. That's yeah. playing off of the gender yeah. wage gap thing in America. But yeah. my point is that the reason that most men do anything mm. is for the benefit of either their family yes. or their potential family in the future. Yeah. And so the reason that men go for high paying jobs mm. is so they can treat their family well, raise yes. their children well. That's why we have this impulse mm. to, well, to do these things. And yeah, not, that, not to get too soppy and, and personal, but... You know, I have a girlfriend of nearly four years um, and I, I'm crazy about her. And everything I do is kind of in service of building a family with her, right? You know, you know I, I love I love doing that. That's the, the right thing to do, though, yeah, right? And but, it's very wholesome to hear yeah, it as well. And, you know, and that's not to say, you know, I'm, de I'm incredibly passionate about you know, politics and, and, mm -hmm. and the commentary and doing this sort of stuff. But actually, all of it is in service to that one prime goal that mm -hmm. is support her, protect her and build a family with her one day. Mm. That, that's exactly the right <laughs> thing to do, though, isn't it? Yeah. I, I feel the same, although uh, I'm, I'm between girlfriends at the minute. Oh, I, I, I've said that on the internet now, so I am going to be You're harassed. going to be inundated. Oh, please, please no. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's also worth mentioning as well that these, if you go back in the past to the so-called sexist times, yeah. um, you, you look at things like World War I, mm. men dying in the trenches in the mud yeah. in Passchendaele, in, in the Somme. Mm. Were they really privileged? They were fighting on wow. behalf of protecting their, their, their women and children yeah. at home, weren't they? Is that really a male privilege? Is that mm. really... I mean, when the Titanic was sinking, who was it who had priority on the life rafts? Yeah. It was the women and children. Always the case. And it's not if, the women and children making that decision either. It's no, it's the, the men, men saying women and children first. And if you are a man who cuts in front, mm -hmm. you're scum. Right? Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. It, it's, it's part of being a man to acknowledge that, yeah. Yes. You know... <laughs> To a certain extent, we are a, a bit more disposable. Well, I was going to say, there is actually something to mm -hmm. the argument that men are 
actually kind of more expendable than women. Yeah. I mean, even like just an, on a biological level, right? You know, one man can impregnate however many women. Mm -hmm. One woman can only only hold one baby and that's for nine months, right? Mm -hmm. So in terms of the rate of, you know, reproduction, it's important to have, mm -hmm. you know, women around, well, right? there's an acknowledgement that in, um, in sort of paleoanthropology, mm. that one of the, the theories, obviously we can't prove this, but mm. one of the theories as to why Neanderthals died out are sort of cousins mm. and homo sapiens survived is that we had defined gender roles mm. and they didn't seem to have as defined gender roles as yeah. in more female neanderthals were found with wounds associated with hunting yes which of course puts the baby at risk mm. and potentially affects the rate of reproduction yeah so uh, there's some food for thought there but Indeed. i wanted to end on a bit of a positive note because you know um Quite often when we're talking about these things, the mm. tendency is to be resentful. And actually, I think it's, it's nice to acknowledge that mm. we, we serve a, an equal role in building a good society. Yeah. So I think men and women are good and, and bad at differing things. And yeah. we complement one another. We co-evolve together. Yeah. And so we work well as a team, right? Yeah. Yeah. We mitigate each other's shortfalls. And there are lots of things that, that women are good at. And I'm going to talk about men as well. Mm. But... They tend to have high levels of empathy and emotional intelligence. That means they connect better with people. It means they're better in caring roles like nurses and social mm. care, which are essential for the function of our societies. Yes. Right? Um, they score higher on average verbal fluency and reading comprehension. Mm. Um, they tend to be better at working as part of a team. Yeah. They tend to have greater appreci appreciation of the value of family mm. at all. Yeah. And then on, on the flip side, for men, mm. you can talk about the three P's of masculinity, protect, provide, and procreate. Yeah. And um, protect is the most exclusive to men because yeah. we have 30% higher um, physical strength, mm. particularly in the upper body. Provide is self-evident, right? Yeah. And pr procreate also means, you know, raising the kids yeah. as well. Oh, yeah. And so it's, it's a, a whole thing that mm. complements one another. And also, of course, men are less risk-averse, so... Uh, do almost all of the dangerous jobs. Mm, mm. And so that means that women are protected to have children. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's good for our society. I think that the differences are a benefit to us. Yeah, absolutely. And I, do, I, I really do think, again, not to sound too sort of soppy and sentimental, mm -hmm. but I really do think that if, if, if the feminine and the masculine are allowed to express themselves, mm. if you as a man cultivate masculinity or you as a woman cultivate femininity, it does, it sort of, it shines through as this kind of, and it's it, there's something divine about it. I think something really irreducible mm. and and kind of magical about it. And I mean, there's, there's no recognition of that by people like the United Nations, who view it, again mm -hmm. view it all in terms of statistics and spreadsheets. But actually, again, mass, the, the you know the masculine and the feminine are complementary and and sacred and beautiful. Mm -hmm. I think um, the problem here and mm. in the West is we've got two kind of uh, I don't want to say bigoted because it's a spoilt word, mm. but two sides of the same coin you've got kind of the the feminists and the the incels yeah. both make generalizations about all men based mm. on their selected experiences yes and normally when i hear people generalizing about all women or all men mm. i think oh you must be a low status person because you've associated with bad people yeah. that have burned you yeah maybe you're right in saying they're bad people normally people have a good nose mm. for that but the fact that that's your experience yeah. says more about you than it does about society i think I you're think. right yeah i think you're absolutely right Okay, so that went went on a lot longer than I thought. That was a whole forty minutes, but hopefully great. you've got some time. Yeah, no, no. I, so I'll be able to speed through the my second segment. So. Yeah, sure. So um, we're going to move on to um, my segment now, where I want to discuss the American question. Right. So this is the question of whether we, as British conservatives, as people who are concerned with things like 
you know, culture, tradition, civilization. Should we view America as a, a, an ally, a friend, a positive force mm -hmm. towards our ends, or an enemy as something that we should will the collapse of, if you want? So you're talking about the uh, the Schmittian friend-enemy distinction then? Yes, yeah, fundamentally it does come down mm -hmm. to that because, you know, we have to make these, we have to make these judgments as people who are, if we want to be serious, if we're serious about, you know, our, our, our political movement, then we have to look at these, ask, ask these questions and be completely certain about our mm -hmm. view on them. So this is a conversation that's been had. Um, it's been going on for quite some time among certainly the online sort of distant right kind of circles. Um, and there's a lot of different perspectives on it. Um, but I wanted to kind of uh, talk about it because, um, again, I think it's important. Now, what prompted me to cover this segment was seeing this tweet from Biden, Mr. POTUS himself. Um, saying, today the People's House, your house, sends a clear message to the country and to the world. America is a nation of pride. Um, and this was the image of the, the pride flag mm -hmm. flying front and center on the White House, flanked by two old American flags. Mm -hmm. um, and I, mean, I, I said of this, you know, America is a nation of pride, right? Pride being the, you know, the, the, the capital sin in Christianity. It, those words are going to be etched, etched into America's headstone. Now, John, if we could just move on to the next picture, because this, this shows what this looked like from the other side. I mean, that is, you know, just deeply, dis I find that deeply mm -hmm. disturbing. But of picture. course, in America, they have a policy of having the American flag above any other. Yes. But of course, it's not on a flagpole. No. But it's symbolically but, occupying the same role being front and centre. I was going to say, the symbolism of this, you know, it's all, it brought to mind for me kind of Emperor Palpatine flanked by his two royal guards, right? <laughs> you know, the, kind of, the old America is, is just is standing, you know, standing by the new America. Mm. Um, so, I mean, what, what is that to say about this, right? This, this image is, is completely, it represents everything we stand against. Um, so it's not, you know, I don't think it's particularly... Uh, controversial or surprising to say that the Biden regime specifically is obviously opposed to our interests and our ends. Of course, yeah. Like that's that much is is clear. It's also opposed to many interests in America itself. Yeah, it's worth pointing absolutely. Out. Yeah, and I feel very sorry for those that have to tolerate it's, Biden. Not well, that you know we're much better off here with the so-called conservatives. But no, we indeed. But you've touched on something there because you know, I mean. The, the, the global American empire thesis has it that the British government is essentially like a subsidiary of the American government, you know. Um, John says they also look back to front. Is that right? See, I, I mm. must admit, I did think that the, uh, the stars had to be top left, but I might be wrong about that. But, mm -hmm. but anyway, um, you know, the, the idea that the British government is this kind of subsidiary of the, of the global American empire, a kind of enforcer in Europe type thing. So mm -hmm. it's actually kind of no surprise that our government has the same kind of uh, well, the same has the same effect and has the same problems as the American government. Well, we we share a culture with the Americans in a certain sense. Yeah. I mean, their constitution is like a, a treatise, a love letter to English liberalism. It is, yeah. and uh, that's why it's so good. Um, yeah. Well, we're going to be talking about that actually, because <laughs> as I say, it's not controversial to say that the current regime that we have in America is not opposed. It is not. Um, in line with our interests as conservatives, right? No, certainly not. But what I want to, I want to go a little bit deeper into this and I want to ask the question, well, beyond the mere Biden regime, America as an idea, America as a political project, mm -hmm. is it something that we should consider to be our friend, let's say, its supporters, is it our friend? And I'm going to make the case that it isn't. Okay. Because I think that the it's the kind of the inevitable logic of, uh, you know, the kind of propositional, rationalistic 
um, liberal project that America is, it has to tend towards um, this kind of, you know, what Carl and Stelius have talked about recently, this comprehensive liberalism, where mm -hmm. it's just this universalizing, essentially imperial force so that seeks to a, remake all traditions and places in its own image. That's kind of a, an Oakeshottian view, is it not? Yes, very much yeah. so. Yeah, he's a big, big influence on my thinking. <laughs> um, but... I, I do want to read very quickly. So going into this, going into this, I want, I want to read a passage from a, a certain rat-like scholar, a one Dr. Nima Parvini, um, who, uh, if you could just go to the, uh, the next link there. Um, so he says um, that the British Empire, he contrasts it with the British Empire. So he says the British Empire was at its very best, a civilizing force and at its very worst, a ruthlessly efficient exploitation engine. But at no point did it seek to fundamentally annihilate the cultures and traditions of the people it subjugated. The GAE does. The GAE is a uniquely evil force in history, totally unlike previous colonial empires. The GAE seeks the total transformation of a culture in its own image and using mass psychological warfare on its subject populations and even on its own. It is a sick anti-civilization cancer, a kind of all-consuming, all-destroying vortex that will not stop until everyone in the world has lost their history. Now, what, what do you make of that? So, first and foremost, <coughs> saying it's not unlike any empire in history is just factually incorrect. Okay. Um, in that there are lots of examples, like Julius Caesar in Gaul mm. killed a third of all the population. Mm. If that's not for cultural transformation regions, it sure, did become yeah. like a, a core province of the Roman Empire after that. Yeah. He basically eliminated the culture. Mm. Um, for example, the, the city of Bath, um, yeah. the, the Roman baths there yep. were built upon a, a sacred Celtic site. Is that right? And it was destroyed in the yeah. process. And so... See, I, I think AA would probably make the case that that's a kind of... Um, with, with the American... The American effect is... I don't, know, I don't quite know how to put it. Mm -hmm. It seems a lot more deliberate and intention, intentional when it comes to America because it is, it's the imposition of liberal values on places that... I mean, we saw this in Afghanistan as mm. being one of the best examples, you know, with pride flags and George Floyd mur murals you know, in Afghanistan. I mean, it's, it's an imperial, uh, it's an imperial uh, attitude, mm -hmm. right? Um, but I think that it is a lot more intentional when it comes to America, because that kind of, the, you know, the building mm -hmm. on, the, on the sacred sites, I don't think that, um, I may be wrong, but I would imagine that's more of a, it's more of an apathetic thing from the Romans, where it's just like, we just don't care. Mm -hmm. well, with, the, a... with the Americans, there is a, an almost evangelical aspect to it. Well, they wanted to wipe out the opposing religion and impose mm. their own, didn't they? Yeah. And, and so that's why they, they took these sacred sites, although they, um, I mean, you could argue some historians might take a different view, mm. but that's at least my interpretation of it because it's, it happened in so many cases and I can use examples of lots of other mm. um, sort of historical empires as well doing similar things. Yeah. But I think that my, my general approach to this, this sort of question yeah. would be that the, the same regime that is having a negative influence on the rest of the world is also mm. the one that's sub subjugating the American people. And so, mm. yes. so it's a, a very select few number of people that are in, holding the apparatuses of power, mm. basically spreading their beliefs for their own ends yeah. to the rest of the world indiscriminately. They're, yeah. they're, they're throwing... Uh, thing at the, I, I can't say, they're throwing things at the wall and seeing what will stick. Yeah. Um, because it helps their agenda to push these certain yes. ideas. Now, I do, I do wonder, you know, this is the kind of eternal question of, of power, is, is this just purely an expression of power and purely um, towards the end of maintaining hegemony? Or are they true believers? 
Like, do they really believe in, you know, the kind of what has become the American ideology, which is intersectional, you know, intersectionality? I think the optimal strategy for them would be to have a mix. Yeah, and in, I imagine that's the case. Yeah, yeah, I think there are true believers in there of yeah. what they're doing. But I think there are also cynical people who are going along <coughs> with it for careerist reasons. Yes. But also they lend themselves to different furtherances of that yeah. uh, ideology in mm. that the, the pragmatists would probably be better at sort of the subterfuge, that side of things, yeah. just because of how their their manner of thinking works. Yeah, yeah. Whereas the ideologues would be good for kind of getting on the ground activism and that sort yeah. of thing. So yeah. they, they kind of lend themselves well to um, furthering it in different ways, yeah, if you will. Yeah, sure, yeah. So John, if we could just move on to the next link uh, here, this tweet from Carl. Now, if you just scroll down so we can properly appreciate uh, this image, right? Um, first of all, I want to say, aside from the horrible flags, London looks great here. Yeah, it's, it's actually a beautiful picture. And notice, <laughs> notice the architecture that's been chosen mm. um, to be to be shown as a as, as a representation of London. It's not the glass and steel skyscrapers. No, right? it's not. It's, it's the, not the concrete brutalism. Mm -hmm. it's, it's the this, parts of London that actually look nice. Yeah, the beautiful, you know, sort of classical, traditional architecture. But again, with this this foreign mm -hmm. uh, imposition hanging above it. I also don't think it. it's any mistake that they got the red bus in there either. No, well, again, just uh, just an icon, an icon mm. of London, right? But again, with this this nasty sort of foreign, the flag of a foreign regime hanging above it. Um, so Carl's take, if, if you could just come off the image here, uh, John, um, as he says, a sign of a foreign occupation and to demonstrate the government's fidelity to this new regime. I think that's right, because I think, you know, those on the left will say that this flag purely represents LG, you know, the LGBT and so on, uh, struggle for equality, right? And mm -hmm. struggle for rights and this sort of thing. Um, and even those on the right would say that this is like an ideological thing, that this flag represents intersectionality or... or um, do, do you queer. mean on the left, sorry? Even on the left, they would say it's an ideological thing. Well, some some would, but oh, okay. I'm saying that the, the main the argument that the, oh, that the okay, mainstream yeah, yeah. right tend to make is oh, that right, this yeah. this flag is a symbol of of uh, an ideology first I see and what foremost. You're now, yeah. But I would say that in in keeping with what Carla said here, this flag must be considered first and foremost a symbol of America, and it's it's hanging over Regent Street like this, over the you know all of these iconic British mm -hmm. things, is an expression of power first and foremost. It's an expression of power and control and um, fealty as well, like by those who put it up. Um, and if we can move on to the next image. Now, it's a, I mean, it's, it's a tired comparison, right? But the red-headed libertarian here said, um, you know, essentially made the comparison to Nazi Germany. But again, you know, there will be those that say the Nazi flag is first and foremost an ideological symbol. But mm. actually, I would say it's, it's first and foremost a German thing. And if you see it flying in your town, then that's, that's an expression of power and domination by the mm. Nazi regime. And in the same way, that's how we have to consider the progress pride I don't, flag. I don't think it's any mistake that um, when the Americans went to Nuremberg, mm. they they blew up mm. the, the, the swastika or whatever it was. I yeah. think it might have been a German eagle as well, or sure. some, some yeah. sort of symbol of German power mm. where um, the mid-century bad man mm. um, held his famous rallies yeah. and they were destroying the symbol of his power. Yeah. They wouldn't have done that. No. Um, had it not been a symbol. Yeah, no, well, there's tremendous power to, to that sort of imagery. Mm -hmm. um, but again, you know, nobody nobody would argue that, that, that the, the mid-century German flag is not fundamentally rooted to, to Germany, right? They wouldn't say that it represents some abstract ideology that can be applied to any time or place. Mm -hmm. No, it's a fundamentally German thing, and it's, it's fundamentally a mid-20th century thing. Mm -hmm. In the same way, I think we have to look at the pride, progress pride flag as a fundamentally American thing and a fundamentally sort of early 21st century phenomenon.
Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, um, but moving beyond the flags, because you know it's it's quite it's sort of low hanging fruit to look at all the all the LGBT stuff because it's so in your face and so mm-hmm. obvious and just fills the airwaves. I do want to go. I want to go beneath the more obvious um, uh, examples that are given of the global American empire and talk about the actual way they maintain the actual nature of the of the GAE, right? Um, so, if, John, if we could go on to the next uh, segment. Um, oh, yeah. So, th- sorry, I, ju- I included this just because, um, you know, as I said, it is kind of the inevitable logic of liberalism to tend towards this kind of comprehensive liberalism out of political liberalism. Because if you don't have the underlying um, mm-hmm. society, the pre-existing set of values, then the liberalism will just leak into the society mm-hmm. and, and, you know, go to all places. I mean, what, what do you make of that? Because you said that the constitution is something that you are in support of. So mm-hmm. what would you make of that? Yeah. So I think that to say something inevitably leads to something else, mm. um, I, it, it somewhat is a, a self-fulfilling thing in a way, because sure. something yep. always leads to something else. Yeah. And so... I think that political systems are mm. a bit like fairies and Peter Pan. Mm. So long as people believe in them, they work. Yeah, sure. I mean, if uh, obviously to certain limits, mm. right? But if if everyone in the Soviet Union yeah. believed in the actual policies of the Soviet Union, yeah. it probably would have ran for a lot longer yeah. before the actual material reality yeah. uh, took hold. And so I think belief of individuals is more important mm. than... The, the system in and of itself. And I think systematic analysis, although it's important, yeah. perhaps gets overemphasized because I think you can have a, an otherwise uh, really good system that mm. functioned in the past that did lots of great things. Yeah. And then the people change and therefore the system um, doesn't function in the same way that it used to. Yeah. And I think that that's probably a case in the United States of, you know, their system did work. Mm. It worked very well. Yeah. I mean, it, it brought them to be the most powerful country in the world. And although they, you know, did so through lend- making us dismantle our empire. Indeed. Yes. Um, that's also not the, affo- the fault of the American people. That was the people in charge. Yeah. And making that distinction is always very important mm. because there are so many Americans in our audience that feel the same way that we oh, do about no that sort of yeah. thing. And so I, I don't want to tar them all with the same brush, not saying that you are either. No, no. But, um, uh, to condemn them to being associated with these horrible things yeah. because they see it as un-American as yeah. well. And I think that we also have many quislings to, mm. to use uh, mid-century German analogies, um, who will um, do the bidding of uh, American academics who, mm. who first devised this intersectional yeah. um, theology, if you will. And yeah. they're more than happy to pick up on that and spread it. And so mm. to suggest that it, America is solely to blame when we had people already pre-programmed to adopt yeah. this sort of thing and spread it. And also the fact that, you know, we've got a cultural interchange, you mm. know, English culture helped shape America. And mm. so to say America is something other, you know, when we've got this link between us, yeah. which is, you know, something we should be quite pleased about because mm. America is, uh, if, if I could live anywhere outside of Britain, it would be the United States. And I don't say that lightly, right? No, yeah. I can't say I agree, because I, I, I do think that it's going somewhere dark pretty soon. I mean, if not Italy, but that's sure, partly yeah. because of the weather, and I like yeah. wine, olives, and their food. Indeed, but. yes. Um, but as I say, um, yeah, so moving beyond the, the really obvious stuff, like the pride flags and so on, it's the kind of, it's, it's the mindset of 
American power that I, I take issue with here. So we've got Biden himself just yesterday saying, I know America can and will win the economic competition for the 20th, 21st century and lead the world once again. Now, that's what we were saying in the previous mm. segment. That framing, as if, as if the world and as if you know, the, the great game is merely economic competition, you know, merely you know, coming first in the league table. You know, of, well, of the, of the... America's economy um, mm. is kind of a, a deified thing in a mm. sense. It, it is very impressive, yeah. um, so I'm not demeaning it. Mm. Um, but part of the reason they did so well in, uh, say, World War II mm. is they were just ridiculously more economically efficient yeah. than, than the other involved powers. Mm. And so their economy in many ways has become a point of pride. Yeah. It makes sense that... Um, Americans would compare themselves to other countries based on economics yeah. because, I mean, you've also got the American dream and that's all mm. about basically you will have a job and eventually you'll work your way up to having land. But that's yeah. an economic dream. Is yeah. it? No, I suppose it's so, a unifying yeah. economic idea. Yeah, but again, do, what does it tell you that, that again, one of the fundamental, uh, well, the, the American dream is economic in nature? I think mm -hmm. that says a lot because to, to me... Um, any kind of national dream. Now, I have a problem with the idea of a, a nation having a, a teleology, being an mm. enterprise, as Oakshaw would say. Um, but if we're going to have a national dream, surely we want it to be first and foremost something spiritual instead of yeah. materialistic. And I like think it's, it's a product of necessity, really, mm. in that it, America, as they say, mm. um, was a cultural melting pot. Yeah. Um, in that there were lots of cultures, lots mm. of different cultures coming to the same place, mm. And so you couldn't really make a cultural argument because you had, no. you know, Protestants, Catholics, yeah. um, Jews, even later on, perhaps Muslims yeah. and, and other religions migrating to the United States. So how can you have a unifying um, cultural goal mm. when you have such a disparate group of people? Yeah. But <laughs> everyone needs the economy. Yeah. Well, that's true. Yeah. But again, this is the nature of what I'm going to go into next, this is the nature of managerial capitalism. You know, a system in which the only thing that ties man to you know man to his to to his to his countrymen is is mere economics yeah you know, there's no shared history no shared culture no shared traditions mm. no shared values just mere a merely transactional relationship um so john if we could go on to the next one um if you want to learn more about this you can read my article that went out uh what was that last week i think um exploring this concept because i do think that this this idea managerial capitalism is is at the root of the problem that i have with america because it is this economic system that seeks to just it's this kind of roiling um machine that just commodifies everything turns out and flattens everything out mm -hmm. turns man himself into a fungible good right and it's out of that that we get mass immigration mm -hmm. and that sort of thing, obviously. Um, but this is an American import, I believe, because, you know, you go, you walk through the streets of Britain. You, I mean, we were saying before we came on, you can go to the most sort of backwater rural town in England and you'll find a Costa Coffee, right? You'll mm. find a McDonald's, you'll find a Starbucks, whatever else. And if you go to the high street, you know, if you walk along the high streets of even, you know, like Swindon, you know, not being from here and only having visited here twice, Swindon looks the same as the town that I grew up in, which looks the same as the to town. Hear that. Which looks the same as the town that I went to university in, which looks the same as the town, you know, where any number of towns that I visited, mm -hmm. they all just look the same. They're all populated by the same five or six fast food chains, mm -hmm. you know, the same clothes shops and so on. You know, wherever you go, you'll have the mm -hmm. same places to eat, the same places to shop and so on. And the American 
you know, to use a stereotype, might love that because there is, uh, you know, a certain convenience and ease to it um, and a certain familiarity. To well, you it. know what you're going to get because they're yeah. the same everywhere, right? Yeah. So, you know, that's that's the kind of American mindset. But actually, I would say the English mindset, and hey, maybe I only speak for myself here, but the English mindset is far more keen on kind of weird local particularities, you know, quirky, quaint businesses. We like eccentricity, don't we, over yeah. here? Yeah. Well, I, I'm, I'm actually going to Cornwall uh, in a, a couple of weeks' time. And you go down there, and it's it's one of the last bastions of, of Englishness. Devon and Cornwall are kind of their own entity they compared are. to the rest of the South. And I, I actually argue this all the time, that mm. the North is its own entity, mm. and Devon and Cornwall are. Yeah. And then you've got kind of the South, which basically mm. has a bunch of London satellite states. Yes. That's my, my kind of view of mm. um, England, at least. Yeah, no, for sure. But, you know, you find in places like that, there are these, you know, these, these family businesses that stretch back, you know, decades, even centuries. Um, and they have very particular ways of doing things. They serve, sell and serve very particular things. And there's a real beauty to that. There's something really, there's something really nice, really sort of, um, yeah, just, just sort of comforting. It's why I'm here, basically. Yeah. I, I grew up in Devon. Yeah. I, I know why it's valuable because I've experienced mm. it. I've lived in it. It's 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 well and truly beautiful to live there. Yeah. And I don't yeah. use that term lightly. No. Right? Like but, you can, I, I lived in a, a, a small sort of uh, town on the edge of, mm. of Plymouth. Um, it's basically a village. Right? Yeah. And um, yeah, people would leave apples and, and fruit at the end of their mm. driveway paying for, for them with an yeah, honour system. Honour systems, yeah. Um, Don't in, see those anymore. Yeah, in yeah. the pandemic, people would put books for people to borrow at the yeah. end of their driveway. Um, people say hello to each other mm. on the street and ha stop and have a chit-chat, even yeah. though they're strangers. Everyone's friendly and yeah. nice. That's beautiful. Everyone has good intentions for one another, and they know that other people have good intentions yeah. for them. But again, you know, the, the drive towards turning all relations into, into transactions, mm. that is a complete completely anti what you were just talking about mm. um and you know back to back to parvini's point you know where he says that america seeks to turn its 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 colonies essentially like the uk and the rest of europe remake them in its own image that is this in practice mm. this is you know you see you see the streets that all look identical you know you see, all populated by the same businesses and you know this again just this drive towards um absolute economics you know where it is just you know, everything. Success is understood as only that which can be expressed through statistics. Mm. Um, there's no recognition of quality. Everything is understood into in quantitative terms. Um, and I think that's the true poison of the global American empire because it's that that is destroying our civilization. I mean, there's certainly a case for it, isn't there? Yeah, um, <laughs> I'm being very diplomatic here. <laughs> indeed. So to, to finish up, then um, I, I just want to I want to cite Julius Eveler of all people. Um, um, we, we recently had a book club about him. Yes, Nicole. you did. It was very good. Um, so he described America and the Soviet Union, because obviously that was around at the time he was writing, as two prongs of the same pincer, squeezing themselves permanently around Europe. In two different but converging forms, the same foreign and hostile force acts in them. The forms of standardization, conformism, democratic leveling, frenetic productivity, a more or less domineering and explicit brain trust, and, and piecemeal materialism in Americanism can only serve to pave the road for the last phase that is represented along the same direction by the communist ideal of the mass man. So he's basically, he's making the case that the effect of this, of what I'm calling managerial mm. capitalism is essentially the same as the, com as communism, which is it does turn everything into this gray sludge. Because know. of course, 
if you're managing capitalism, mm. it's not really capitalism, right? Well, that's a great point. Yeah. And, and James Burnham makes the case that hey, he doesn't actually call it managerial capitalism. He just calls it managerialism because mm-hmm. um, it's not actually capitalistic. You know, mm-hmm. you read, um, I guess, Sam Francis and he says the managerial capitalist system that we have now is completely, it's inseparable from the state because all of these different organizations are so deeply interwoven into each other, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's. Starbucks is owned by BlackRock and BlackRock has links to all the different governments of the West, um, which are links to, which has links to the Tony Blair uh, Institute, which has links to various different universities. So it's this massive, I mean, Parvini calls it the octopus, right? Mm -hmm. It's this massive um, edifice, this, this huge machine, all of which is interwoven into one of another and whose effect is just this, again, this uh, homogenization. Just, I just, don't disagree with that, no. Yeah. And you actually brought up the idea of the melting pot, which mm. at one point was held as this kind of beautiful ideal. But actually, you know, what is that saying? You're, you're, mel- you're melting down. In fact, in communist China, you know, there were stories of them taking ancient artifacts. Melting them down. Melting yeah. them down because they just needed the resources, mm-hmm. right? That's what I think of when I hear the melting pot. I hear these, you know, these beautiful old art, you know, a- mm-hmm. antiques, essentially, things that belong to a particular time and place and which are completely, you can't replicate them, completely infungible, right? And you put them in this pot and melt them down with all the rest because it doesn't mm. matter, you know, because it's just resources, right? It's just quantity. It's a good way of putting it, I think. Yeah. So uh, I'll leave that there. <laughs> <laughs> well... Ted Kaczynski recently committed suicide, and um, obviously I don't approve of the man's actions, um, but I have read his manifesto, Mm. and he did raise some interesting ideas about technology. He's not the first to mention them, but in light of his recent suicide, I'm going to read some of his his quotes. Obviously, he was a terrible person. He hurt innocent people, killed innocent people, also was a hypocrite in that he used technology in the form of bombs to try and uh, attack people, even though he was anti-technology. So it seems, and I also think that his manifesto could have been written and published academically, and it would have lent more credibility to his arguments. He was a a, a prominent academic. And so we have to wonder whether, would it be remembered in the way that it was though? Yeah, I I think that there is a case for that. But I think that he was a a very successful academic. He he flew through school, had a ridiculously high IQ, that sort of stuff. And so he could have succeeded on, you know, normal footing had he actually tried and not given yeah. up. So I think it was weakness that made him turn to political violence. But or MKUltra, one or the other. That, that, <laughs> yeah, he was a participant in MKUltra, mm. and one of the things that they did was brutally question his deeply held beliefs, mm. which I don't doubt probably um, disillusioned him to the yeah, world. Cooked his dome a little bit. Mm-hmm. So here are some quotes. The industrial technological system may survive or it may break down. If it survives, it may eventually achieve a low level of physical and psychological suffering, but only after passing through a long and very painful period of adjustment and only at the cost of permanently reducing human beings and many other living organisms to engineered products and mere cogs Mm. in the social machine. And I think that hits the nail on the head. It, come back, it comes back to what we were just talking about. You know, the view, does, of, yeah. the view of man as a mere economic unit, a mere mm-hmm. fungible good. You know, a cog in the machine. That's, mm. that's the perfect way to put it. And he's right. Fundamentally, yeah. he is right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it is a bit bitter to agree with him because mm. he is such a bad person. But yeah. he does raise good points. And he also says, as a society, the problem that face it become more and more complex. And as machines become more and more intelligent, people will let machines take more and more decisions for them. Mm which we are in the midst of right now. Yeah. I think we are in this sort of uh, time when the technology is in going to increase human mm. suffering. I do think that there is a sort of a good ends there, yeah. 
but I think that a healthy attitude of blending technology and human nature mm. is acknowledging human nature exists for a start is a yeah. good start and then understanding it and then applying that to the world. And yeah. that's what I've tried to do in my own life. Yeah. I feel like I've got some very profound experiences from trying to do so. And it gives yeah. me a very good perspective and balance on the right thing between living true to your nature yeah. and embracing technology. I, the, the technology question has got to be one of the most fundamental questions that we have to ask. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, I think even, I forget specifically what era it was, but there have been times in history where written language, if we consider, if we can consider written language to be a technology, which I think we kind of can. I suppose um, so, yeah. A very, obviously a very basic form of technology, but written language was viewed with suspicion um, as being something that would affect, you know, affect memory. Um, and it's a, it was a, viewed, viewed as a kind of decadent mm. um, thing. And to this day, we still are asking this question of, well, what's the proper relationship between man and technology? Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't think anybody has a comprehensive answer. Mm -hmm. And I think my, my general view is mm. that technology are just the tools and yeah. our attitudes shape how we use them. Yes. So the people are the things that ideally need to change. Yeah. Um, although AI is an entirely different beast mm. because of course there's the possibility of it having its own consciousness down the line, which is yeah. terrifying to me. But you know, also yeah. the power that AI already has is yeah. also kind of amazing. So I see the potential and the the sort of darkness of it. Yeah. I'm not gonna scaremonger about it because mm. I think we're a long ways off yet um having that sort of sentient AI that yeah will potentially take over, mm. so to speak. But it's worth mentioning as well that Carl likes talking about this sort of thing and he does lots of mm. hangouts. The uh, our Cyberpunk Dystopia series, um, this is, I believe, part four, and Carl basically does a review um, of all of the dystopian technology um, yeah. that is coming out. And I basically nicked all of the stuff for his next <laughs> one. So, um, sorry, Carl. Um, but anyway, let's move on to this next one. Um, <laughs> This is a story that I, I saw in the Post Millennial um, yep. titled Amazon renders man's smart home system unusable after delivery driver alleges he heard racist remark via doorbell. And um, supposedly he had lots of Amazon projects, projects, um, products, products. Yeah. My brain's being fried already talking yeah. about technology. It's all these cameras, I swear. Yeah. Um, yes. And he had a delivery driver from Amazon and he, he had a doorbell that spoke. And I think it said... Um, excuse me, can I help you? Mm -hmm. As a program to do. Yeah. And the guy had headphones in, misheard it, and it's presumed that there was someone in the house that was racist towards him. I don't understand I mean, how you can. I mean, excuse me, can I help you? I don't know what that sounds like. I mean, but you have to you have to wonder whether there's a certain amount of maybe wanting to hear is it, something like that a, in this situation. A, I mean, I don't know, but you I'm just want to be yeah. the next George Floyd, and then you get millions of payouts. I mean. Come on. Yeah. There's there's an incentive there to lie, sure. Yeah. Um, but let's presume that, you mm. know, he just misheard and be a bit charitable. Yeah. But what is uh, not something deserving of charitability is how Amazon responded. They shut down all of his devices in his house. It's so dark. That were owned <laughs> by Amazon. Yeah. Um, or produced by Amazon. So yeah. yes, even if you own something, Amazon has the power to just shut them off. Mm. So he had things that adjusted like temperature in rooms and things yeah. like that. Just nope. You you can't, you know, order things on the internet, yeah. ask questions from your Echo. I mean, this is why I take the Bill Burr approach to these sorts of things. So yeah. Why would you voluntarily bug your own house? <laughs> yeah, quite right. It's like, no way am I doing that. No, no, indeed. I, I, no, I went I, home to my parents um, not too long ago and yeah. I saw they had one. I was like, are you mad? I was going to say, my, my mum and dad love this it's like, stuff. It's like, I know it's cool and all that, but <laughs> and it kind of some is, common right? sense. But yeah, no, but again, the, the powers that be 
yeah, I don't think you want to have that sort of thing in your house. But it's funny. Yeah, I don't know if you're going to go on to this. Mm-hmm. This this is a kind of this this shows us what's what's possible with a kind of social credit system, right? Yes. Because this this would be possible if you know if you <laughs> fall below a certain a certain score, the powers that be can just turn off your house. Well, right? this is kind of going on to some extent in China, and I've actually covered oh, yeah. this in contemplations before. Yeah. Um, like hotels won't lend you an umbrella if you have a poor social credit score it, yeah. on a rainy day. Yeah. You won't be able to hire a oh, bicycle. Just so like vindictive, you know. Mm. And also your associations, it was a regional thing. So mm. each individual city did it slightly different, but you could be associated yeah. with someone with a low score and that would damage yours. Yeah. And so it's basically like, I can't associate with you. You've got a poor score. Yeah. That's so Basically dark. unpersoning so people. Yeah. And it's, it's just evil. It gets between the, the mm. bonds that bind society together yeah. and imposes this horrible quantitative managerialism upon yes. them. And it, it it makes my skin crawl. Yeah, like, it's I get horrible. A physical disgust talking about it. Yeah. So um, talking of things I find physically disgusting and mentally, for that matter, um, the EU and the World Health Organization signed a global vaccine passport deal. Mm. So this is using the infrastructure that was developed to vet people for their vaccine passports for future pandemics. So next time they can just spring this on people rather than saying, oh, we're going to gonna have vaccine passports, How at lucky. least in Britain. Yeah. And uh, they, they kind of floated the idea and then there was lots of pushback. And they're like, actually, mm. we weren't actually going to do that. Yeah. Never mind all that, that discussion of, well, maybe we're going to do it, we're going to implement it. Because they, yeah. they saw the writing on the wall that people, that was a line that shouldn't have been crossed. I mean, that yeah. should have been locking them down in the first place. But Well, of course. Convenient we that this is all in place now, though. Thank goodness for that. Mm. You know, for the next pandemic that they seem so sure yeah, is going to happen. Yeah, strange, isn't it? So here's another dystopian thing that I've seen. And um, that is um, this. I didn't know this was going on. Mm. Um, so this is Aldi, which is a supermarket, if you're not from Britain or basically Europe. Yeah. I think they're all over now, aren't they? Um, and you have to scan a QR code to uh, get in, and it's completely staffless. So I think... Oh, that's you, weird. I don't think anyone actually... I suppose people must put stuff on the shelf, yeah. and that's about it. Yeah. But they, you don't have any cashiers or anything. Do you know, whenever I go to the shops, I always make a point of going to a person. I never use the self-checkout, because it's like, I, I'm, I'm contributing quite, to the problem. I'm quite a hypocrite. I, yeah. <laughs> I pay by card, I don't use cash, yeah. and I go to the machines. I'm just like, well, I'm quicker than a person, so... But this, this is the problem here. Is, it is, let's be yeah. honest. It's, no, but it's convenient. And, you know, I've, Apple... I'm, I mean, I don't use... I still use my card and contactless and Apple Pay and all that sort of thing, because it's just easier. It's just mm. easier. You don't run the risk of, you know, losing physical cash... But this, that's how they get you, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's really quite concerning. And Connor did a good job breaking down all that was wrong with it. Um, if you go to the next tweet, John. Um, Technology is already estranging us from each other and it will only get worse. And he goes on to talk about ESGs and all that sort of thing. But yeah. uh, I think we've already used up quite a lot of time. So <laughs> if you want to see this, go check out Connor's Twitter. Um, yeah. I'm unintentionally giving him a bit of a plug there because I couldn't read out what he had to say. But yeah. it's all good stuff and I, I very much agree with what he had to say. Mm. So... Um, moving on to the next one here. Um, this is a bit of a different kind of dystopian uh, thing. This is not so technological, but the government wants to ban buy one, get one free deals, despite their own analysis showing it will only reduce calorie consumption by 2.5%. And this is the idea that they're trying to reduce obesity mm. by telling the supermarkets what deals they can do, Yeah, which is, uh, it makes the uh, the free market... Uh, economist in me squirm yeah. with displeasure at the fact that they're doing this because mm. also well 
surely you should focus on making healthy options as cheap as possible yes. and allowing people to make their own decisions. And furthermore, incentivizing local produce, nat mm -hmm. you know, natural produce, not stuff that's been you know, gone through mm -hmm. half a different half a dozen different processes before it arrives on the and, store shelf. Yeah, I'm, I'm not necessarily a big fan of processed food. I try and avoid eating it mm. um, because it's not good for you, funnily yeah. enough. Um, I, everyone knows that. Mm. But, you know, you can still treat yourself every now and then. Yeah. I'm not some sort of zealot. Just like, oh, you're eating a Big Mac, slapping yeah. out your hands. I mean, I'm, I'm partial to one every now and then. Oh, yeah, of course. Now, when it comes to this issue, I am actually... I wonder if we'll disagree on this, because I'm mm -hmm. actually very... I'm, I have a far more author authoritarian view of food and this sort of thing, because I think it's an issue that's never spoken about in... Certainly in mainstream politics. Nobody's gonna, nobody wants to touch this. But the fact that, you know, probably the majority of the food that we see in supermarkets... Is this is this nasty processed like garbage? I've, I've actually thought this myself. When yeah. I've been walking around a supermarket and I try and buy and eat healthily, yeah, and I'm just like seventy five percent of this stuff is just disgusting. Yeah, just trash. It's like yeah. if I eat this, it will make me feel worse. Yeah, why would I do that? Yeah, like just eat something that that makes you feel bad. Mm. But again, you know, think, thinking of convenience and and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, for one thing, it's convenient. A lot of this stuff, like ready meals and so on. Um, and it's nice, yeah, mm -hmm. and and that's those two those two things together. You know, it's going to be impossible outside of um, legislation. It's impossible to stop people, mm -hmm. you know, the average person, from buying and consuming that sort of thing. Because why wouldn't they? And you know, I, I don't blame them for that. Um, but I, I mean, I sincerely believe that there needs to be, you know, strong strong legislation around uh, the food industry. And when we win, mm -hmm. that will be what I do. <laughs> I think that uh, I, I take more of a, an informed consumer thing. I want there mm. to be perhaps legislation on um, what nourishment there is. So mm -hmm. if you want to be healthy, you can. But um, I take the American view that if you want to balloon up and look like a, a land whale, yeah. that's your, your prerogative. If oh, you want to kill yourself liberal. by eating. I'm far less liberal than you, Josh. That's, it's not liberal. That's that's a sort of aristocratic indifference to. Okay, okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah. I'm, I'm I'm kind of flanking you on the right here now. Yeah, but I mean, I, what I'm talking about is forcing people to be healthy, and mm -hmm. that maybe that sounds a bit Rousseauian, forcing people to it be does, free. It does, yeah. But actually, if you if you make it impossible for people to buy unhealthy foods, then mm -hmm. shock, they won't buy unhealthy foods. They mm -hmm. will just buy what's available. But and it also punishes people that are responsible, doesn't it? In that I, I occasionally treat myself to something, but yeah. I I tend to eat quite healthily. Yeah, and so like. Things like the sugar tax, for mm. example, I now pay more money for my treat mm. that isn't a key part of my diet yeah. because fat people can't keep their mouth shut. Mm. And I don't think that's fair. Like, <laughs> yeah. I want I want my junk to be cheap Yeah, because I don't spend that much but money perhaps on it. I, but I would say you're probably the exception, though. I am Because the, the masses have to be told. <laughs> well, <laughs> I care about me, all right? Yeah, fair enough. No, obviously I care about other people as well. But I think that you've got to be able to make your own decisions mm. to truly appreciate the value of what you're doing in the first place. Yeah. If you're coerced into being moral or good, mm. then it ceases to be moral because it's no longer your choice. Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a much longer conversation to be had about that, but I see <laughs> yeah. where you're coming from. I'm, sure. I'm kind of throwing out um, yeah. very long winded conversations here. Just one final thing on this. It's deeply fat phobic, I just want to say. It is, yeah. Deeply of course. fat phobic. Um, yeah. Of course, even those in the Conservative Party have been opposing this, as in this next article, Rishi Sunak is accused of nannying nonsense by his own backbenchers after pressing ahead with plans to outlaw buy one, get one free deals on unhealthy food despite the cost of living crisis. And I think they're right to object. Mm. And um, because we're running out of time, let's move on to Scotland and knives. You've got to get a, uh, a knife dealer license. Um, this doesn't necessarily go for um, 
domestic knives. You don't mm. need a license to sell kitchen knives and stuff yeah. like that, which uh, you think would do the job um, if you're up to no good anyway. Yeah. yeah. So um, well, we've seen that happen many times. Well, yeah, of course. Mm. But um, this seems to be just. Uh, a good sign of our our possibility of having gun rights is so far away that you yeah. need a knife license. <laughs> you got a license for that? Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> my point in bringing this up is, I think that we should have like a Second Amendment style thing of, mm. yes, my home is my castle. Anyone who tries to break in Bang. should should have holes. They should look like Swiss cheese. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's my right as a man to do that. Mm. And I think it's an abomination that the government gets between me and my own security. Yeah, yeah. And I have to outsource it to the police who sometimes will take ages to turn up. And I'll be like, oh, right, yeah, yeah. I'm bleeding out now. Thanks a lot. Yeah. And again, to use the, 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 the tired talking point at this point, I'm more concerned with policing nasty words on Twitter. <laughs> they, right. they genuinely are. Yeah. And um, I've heard this from actual police officers mm. as well, saying that it's rubbish. And yeah. they, they joined to do actual good. Yeah. So I'm not tiring all of the police. I no, mean, there no, are course. some annoying bureaucrats out there. Yeah. And uh, I know Connor's fallen afoul of them before, Indeed, but I yeah. also know police officers who mm. are really good and actually care about, you know, reducing violent crime yeah. and theft, yeah. which is the main thing that the public expect of them. Of course, yeah. So this one, it, this next one is just ridiculous. Sadiq Khan just <sighs> taking yeah. ice cream from children. Ice cream vans set to be banned from another 33 streets in London. And yeah. this is because of their emissions. Of course. I, I thought it would be like a traffic thing. You know, London's mm. quite dense. Oh, they, they, they hold people up, they stop on the curb, they limit the flow. No, it's, it's green agenda stuff. Yeah. So they're literally taking ice cream from children to I stop mean, the, the, the planet from again, heating, think, up, yeah, thinking about heating the, up. Yeah, thinking about the symbolism here, though. I mean, not, mm -hmm. only, not only is it literally taking ice cream from children, which is just like... Hilarious. Hilarious, yeah. But actually, you know, the ice cream van is a kind of... It's a cute, quaint, British, mm -hmm. traditional... Thing. You know, I remember when I was growing up, you'd always hear the ice cream van going around and that was kind of an exciting thing. Mm -hmm. Although I was told that if the music was playing, that meant that he was, he'd run out of ice cream, which I believed <laughs> for many years. Um, my parents never pulled that one on me, thankfully. Well, yeah. Um, but again, you know, it's just in the name of the agenda, in the name mm. of this technocratic, managerial, completely abstract idea of net zero, we are banning ice cream vans. It's <laughs> just so... <laughs> Writes itself, you know. If if you want any evidence that this is evil, yeah, <laughs> look no further. Yeah, um, there's also, of course, the ULES stuff where mm. the, the city of London, if you want to drive through it, you've got to pay a fine, a toll, yeah. a green tithe to uh, Sadiq Khan, the, uh, the yeah. pontiff of London. Yeah, Sadiq Khan's pocketed more of my money than I care to think about because of this. Very depressing. Yeah, and make a habit of avoiding London, even though yeah. I've got lots of friends there, which is a bit of a shame. Yeah. But <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Um, I also found this article from The Guardian, which is talking about surveillance mm. and pointing out a good concern, but also terming it in ridiculous um, ways. Mm. So I'm not going to be able to have the time to go on about this, but they're talking about how um, employers, now everyone's working from home, monitor people's screens, yeah. key log, and all this stuff, and how it could be abused and be seen as a step too far. Mm. And now I kind of understand, I, I've worked in management before, and I noticed the difference between when I was there and when they didn't know I was yeah, there. Yeah in that people all of a sudden just, oh, he's here, mm. we need to behave ourselves. Yeah. And it wasn't even like I was that harsh. I was actually quite laid back mm. <laughs> with what I was doing. Yeah. I was quite understanding. So I, was, I was young myself. Yeah. And so if I can notice that, um, there's got to be some element of, well, if you know your boss is watching, like if you know God is watching, Indeed. you yeah. will behave yourself. Um, however, I do think I share the concerns here with, with The Guardian, I never thought I'd say that, mm. um, that this is a weird precedent that your employer can watch you, yeah. actually. 
installing software that can then look at your computer screen. What if you're doing something that's nothing to do with your employer yeah. out of work hours and they have this infrastructure? Mm. That seems scary to it's me. It's creepy. It is creepy, yes. But they are saying it targets young female minority workers. Surely it just targets everyone who works from home, you weirdos. Yeah. Don't make it about that. No. But um, finally, two more things before I'm done and before we run out of time entirely, mm. is uh, the UK Ministry of Defence has signed a deal with Google to use their artificial intelligence, which puts the fear yeah. of God deeply within me because that's like... Uh, Satan and malaria forming yeah. a pact together to do more evil or something Literally like that. Literally Skynet. <laughs> yes. This is absolutely terrifying. Yeah. And then finally, this one was just in the news, so I didn't actually get time, uh, any time to look at it before presenting, Ooh. but I thought I'd give it an honourable mention. Synthetic human embryos made without eggs or sperm have been created in a scientific breakthrough. Oh, so we don't even need human beings anymore. No. We can be replaced. We are now replaceable as of today, which is terrifying to it's me. very dark very very dark that Oof. right i think we've got the video comments yeah apologies to all the commenters i i, I was enjoying the conversation so yeah. much that yeah, we went, it went on we went a, went a bit over yeah but uh we always read the comments um even the ones we don't mention or at least i do yeah i can only speak for myself there were there was, there were some very kind comments on the last one which i mm -hmm. thank viewers for last one i was on i mean Tony D and Wee Scurvy Joan here with another tale of Pirates of South Jersey and Captain Kidd again. He buried so much treasure here in New Jersey. I know it doesn't look like New Jersey, but here it is. Right in the middle of the Matawan Creek, there was an island. It was called Treasure Island after someone found Spanish doubloons and treasure hunters came from all around digging until the island was no more. But no one ever found the rest of the treasure and now it's beneath the waves. Fetch me Shovel Joan. <laughs> <laughs> I always love your video comments there. Yeah, That's so good. <laughs> Not, not only was the accent good as well. I was going to say, I was spot on, yeah. It's like, it's like I'm already back home again, that sort of southwesterly <laughs> yeah. city urban accent that pirates have, yeah. as well as great information there as well. Mm. So I've seen Connor and Harry grousing about how fanfic writers have taken over the comics industry with like the new Spider-Man movies and whatnot. And I was curious, have they ever made the mistake of going on to fanfiction.org and looking at what the top 200 movies to get fan fiction are. Some of them make sense, you know, like The Matrix, but there's others. The Mighty Ducks, Titanic, Brokeback Mountain. What does this say about, like, that genre of interest? <laughs> I, I would have thought that Brokeback Mountain was probably already fan fiction for some people with uh, yeah. Heath Ledger and Jake Gyllenhaal. I mean, Ooh, steamy. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that is an interesting point that, you know, it's a very weird world where mm. it's almost like everything has to be meta. Everything has to yeah. refer to previous things before. Yeah. It can't be its own self-contained piece of media. And I mm. think that's a shame. I like a self-contained story. Yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's a good thing. But um, I Absolutely. think we've got some time for some uh, general comments here. We've only got a minute left, but it okay. says... Uh, Sophie Liv, well, I'm just going to say it. Today's guest can be as sexist towards me as he wants. Um, that's a fine specimen of a male <laughs> race you brought out on today. Sharply dressed and everything. Thank you, Lotus Eaters. That's very, very kind of you. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, General Hyping says, um, it's always good to see Josh released from the weekend premium content. <laughs> yes, You're welcome, they, Josh. <laughs> that's all right. Well, I was, you specifically requested. I, I did, on, didn't yes. you? Thank you very much. That's very kind. You're welcome. Um, yes, they they keep me locked away in the basement because uh, <laughs> if they unleash my full power, 
they would be very much undermined. Oh, yeah. That's definitely it, and not just that it works with my schedule. Um, <laughs> but anyway, it's been a blast, actually. It's I've really great. enjoyed this. Yeah, I've had, a really good I had time. good fun. We've had some good, profound conversations, and hopefully yes. uh, you at home enjoyed it as well. I kind of forgot you were there, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but yes. um, thank you very much for watching. Don't forget to check out um, the live stream tomorrow at 3.30 with mm. Harry and Connor talking about James Lindsay's view of Christianity. And also, of course, as always, the podcast tomorrow, because... I've actually remembered to mention it, unlike oh. some of our Lotus Eaters here. Um, so yes, same time as always tomorrow. And you can find me at cfdowns underscore oh, yeah. on all, uh, all platforms. And my website is cfdowns.uk where you can find all of my work. Very impolite of me not to say that. <laughs> it's all right. Well remembered. Um, so yes, thank you very much for watching and I'll see you tomorrow.